Hi folks, I'm Duncan Guild, child and adolescent psychiatrist. And I'm Victoria Lee, licensed clinical mental health counselor. And welcome to Is There a Med for That? The podcast about teen mental health, behavioral problems, and what to do about them. Victoria and I have been working together for years with kids. Sometimes we use therapy, sometimes medication. Sometimes we just give guidance to parents. And we realize that sometimes kids just need to be left alone. We don't have all the answers, but we've got some of them. We'll do our best to share what we've learned over the years working with struggling kids and their families. We hope you enjoy the show and that we can be helpful to those who have taken on the hardest, most important job in the world, being a parent. Hello, Victoria. Hello, Duncan. Look at this. It's our second podcast in... Two weeks, a podcast meeting where we actually yeah, make the podcast. Yeah, getting together, recording. I'm happy to talk about our second part to our last episode about family rituals. Have you been thinking about your family rituals? I wish I could say yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally Duncan. If people, no, I've been doing them, which is more important than thinking right. about them. Yes, less talk, more walk. That's right. It's Duncan's motto in life for everyone who knows him. <laughs> less talk, more walk. Yeah, so last time, or the last episode that went up was about family rituals. And we talked a lot about William Doherty's book, The Intentional Family. We reviewed kind of family structures and how it's changed over time from more traditional family structure with um, a lot more time together, smaller communities where it was easier to form family rituals and just day-to-day life was more intimate, I think, less distractions. And now we're living in a more busy day and age with tons of distraction and a lot less rigidity around what family life should and shouldn't be and pros and cons to that, of course. And we were talking a little bit about the cons of how it makes it challenging for families to thrive when the community and culture doesn't really support family life optimally. And so we were talking about how can you be an intentional family? And we introduced the idea of creating rituals in your family life of time together. Can I go back to something you said? Not right now. It doesn't, it doesn't work <laughs> you for me. You can't stop me anyways. <laughs> uh, I think this is relevant somehow, but people talk about, you used the word a busier day and age. Yeah. I don't think that's true. I think people used to be much more busy. I think there's more leisure time today because of all the sort of modern, at least for, you know, the country we live in, uh, and, you know, for a lot of folks, there's more, you know, you're not working on a farm Mm -hmm. for 24 hours generally. Right. I think the busyness, and I think that's true in a certain, like we definitely fill our life. I don't think busy means doing anything important necessarily. I think the busyness of day and day of today's life is uh, distraction busyness. And, um, I think it's not as simple as it used to be, right? You have so many options now. And I think part of that is you do have leisure time to fill and people have become used to having options to fill your life with and the phone meetings for this meetings for that, um, scheduled events. And I don't think it has to be busy. I think we live in a time where you could actually probably be way less busy than ever in the world. Right. But instead, people are almost like com- like pathologically and compulsively doing things. We almost used to be more busy, but with one thing, like yeah. getting food. Yes. Yeah. And intentional, <clears throat> right? Like we got to go cook. Like even cooking a meal right. would have to be. You'd be like you said. Like I think it was a lot more work back then to get food, make food. Um, 
whereas nowadays, like even a meal, you can like families often have five different meals going at once. McDonald's. McDonald's. Do that very quickly. Way less busy than over the wood stove. So I'm sorry, I interrupted, but. No, and it's a good question too. And I also think there is a little bit of, um, I was talking with someone else recently about being mindful of the narratives we do own, right? And questioning that if like you don't feel like your life is very busy, don't just say it because everyone else says it. Or because Victoria says it. Definitely not because of that. That'd be bad therapeutic advice. I'm very much for um, rebelling against your therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Makes for good sessions. Um, yeah, but I think in general, people are very busy in kind of like running around with like a chicken with their head cut off more busy than in the old days. It's more or maybe, diffuse and scattered. Yeah. Yep. Scattered is a great word for it. Yeah. And even, I mean, even think of like back in the day, kids could play and it didn't take 20 adults to organize it. You know, it's. Yeah, no kidding. Huh? We should do a whole episode about play dates. <laughs> yeah, Duncan's favorite thing. <clears throat> Um, but it's almost like with more leisure time, we have more escape yep. and more escape means being less present. Mm. For sure. Yeah. But I think often the things people choose to escape with that are kind of socially acceptable are these things that look productive about personal achievement, mm. about building your resume, looking optimal for outside consumption. And then it brings you back to this idea that when you're so busy with all this personal achievement, it's hard to, I shouldn't say it's hard to, it's, you have to be more intentional about creating time as a family together. It doesn't mean you should get rid of all that. Cause I actually like a lot of stuff in my life that has to do with personal achievement and whatever. But I think that it's really important to find a balance with also carving out time to be intentional with your family. When I work with married, married couples in therapy, the number one thing that gets in the way of their marriage is people not putting any time into being together, especially once they have kids. I think if it's a childless marriage, that's different. But once you have children and people own a house or rent or, you know, both people work, there's, they hardly even talk to each other much. Ships in the night, right? Yeah. Yep. And then they wonder why they're not getting along well. Yeah. So. Well, people will say that absence makes the heart grow fonder, but maybe that's not always the case. And maybe it doesn't apply to marriages. I guess it, I don't know. What do you think? I think it's a good temporary motto, mm. right? Like you want like now and again to maybe be able to miss each other, but you don't want that to be your permanent state of being because then maybe the heart grows fonder, but you're still just not getting it ever. You're not ever getting fulfillment or connection in that way with each other. Right. And so then I think that, eventually turns into resentment and a you versus me because we're no longer a team, lack of friendship. Right. So, yeah. And so today we were going to talk a little bit about our own family rituals. And I wanted to also mention the difference. I don't know if I talked about it last episode, but we talked, um, but I want to talk about the difference between a routine and a ritual. Because a lot of times we have routines And I think taking them to the next step and making them a ritual, not all of them, but some of them can be helpful because when we deliberately, I guess, label or claim something as a ritual, it's saying this is intentionally something I do um, to 
be closer, that we're all partaking in together. It's not just something we fall into. Um, and it's something that we take responsibility for. And I think routines can just be something that kind of evolve in our life. And rituals can too, but adding the extra point of we're going to make it a positive way to connect and we're going to review them and make sure they're actually what we want to be doing with our time and that there's benefits that come from it. For example, often I think parents um, of maybe young kids starting out with young kids, right? Um, the bedtime routine can be wicked hectic. Whereas if you can try to turn it into a ritual, there's a clear start, a clear end to the space together. And um, there's an clear expectations discussed together and everyone working together as a team as much as the family will allow. Are you saying, so I'm trying to get to the difference between routine and ritual. Uh, Routine is more... Do you see routine more as an individual pursuit and ritual has more to do with community coming together? Yeah. And the intention behind it, I think, um, there's almost like a sacredness when you say this is a ritual in our family. A little spiritual. Yeah. Yeah. I think you can add that in there if, you know, if you're opposed to that, you don't have to, but I think it's, imp- there is something, there's deeper meaning in it, um, than just a routine, which might just be a bit more functioning. And this rituals can allow for functioning well, but they also have this added dimension of, yeah, the spiritual part of it, the actual intention to connect and make it meaningful. Okay. I'm with you. All right. William Doherty in his book, which I highly recommend, I feel like every family nowadays should just have a copy on their shelf and pick it up now and again and just thumb through it. He breaks it down into family connections and then celebration and community connections and rituals that support either one. So the family ones can be family meals. That's a big, I think not every family wants to do family meals together. That might not be the rituals people choose, but that's a great place to focus on if you want to establish some good rituals. Um, There's also the coming and going rituals, saying hello, saying goodbye there's going out and going away rituals in his book and also couple rituals that don't include the children, but just include the partners together. It might be like date night type thing. Yeah. Date night. Maybe if, you know, twice a year you do a long weekend just together away, Mm. but it's something that you and your partner make plans to do and you discuss the meaning behind it for you both and, you also want to make sure you stick with it, right? It's not a ritual until life kind of acts itself out upon the chosen activity and you don't do it for a little bit and then come back to it, right? If you have to, maybe you always have meals together on Sunday, but maybe it's Easter, so you have to go somewhere else. Do you start it back up the next weekend? It's a big part of making sure rituals last is being committed to them. Sort of like relapsing is stopping a ritual. Yes, yep. And ideally the relapse is not, it's almost like I would, instead of just stopping it because you're like, oh, screw this, I hate this. (laughs) And then if that's okay, if you, if you don't like the rituals you've started, just talk about it with the family and come up with a different ritual to do or tweak it a little bit. I think a lot of times with family routines or rituals, people get a little bit too rigid or they feel like it has to be a certain way, but trying to find enough structure but there's also flexibility for people to all be able to enjoy it. Okay. 
Yeah. What are some of your family rituals or routines that maybe could be considered rituals if you look at them in that light? Well, we try to do family dinners when we can. And even starting there, so uh, assembling people after activities, um, we always end up eating really late because everybody gets home late. So there's always a rush on it, but it always feels... It's very easy not to do that. Yeah. Inconvenient. And um, there's really a temptation not to do it. It always feels good, particularly afterward and, and during. But beforehand, there's a temptation like, hey, let's just sit in front of the TV. And, or, yep. and that's almost a little bit of an escape, I guess, because you don't have to be with somebody. You can be with the TV or you can be yep. with your book or you can be with your phone. Um, I say we do pretty well with that. So it's a few times per week. And um, yeah, so, so I would say that's one of them. One of them. Um, we do vacations together. Uh, my wife's very good about planning those. Um, she probably drives the rituals. Um, I'm sort of more, let's kind of do whatever. But I'm always, uh, it always feels good to do them. Mm-hmm. So, You're a willing uh, participant once it gets going. Yeah, I'm a willing participant. Exactly. It's that getting over the hump of actually doing it. Yep. Kind of like play dates, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to have to say you can't use that word yeah. anymore. We're going to do a whole episode <clears throat> on play dates. Um, we actually do games sometimes, board games, which have gotten... Boy, the kids were always good at them. But um, What age did you start board games? Young. Like, you mean me? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking you and your kids, but good hear your history Six on it or too. something. Cool. Yeah, and the kids were always good at them, and it's always effort too, because particularly when they were young, they would absolutely fall apart when they lost. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And it would get competitive, so it was, it was work actually doing, but um, you know it was important parenting too, helping them get past. The world ends because, or you can hit your brother because. Building failure tolerance as you lose. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Getting used to the fact that you're going to fail a lot in life. Yeah. Yep. Maybe all the time. Hopefully not all the time. (laughs) Maybe like now and again, (laughs) you don't. But they do say the most successful people in life tend to fail more because they try more often. Right? Failure tolerance. So important. How about you? So some of our family rituals, when I think about them, um, so we definitely do family meals. Um, Are you able to do them most nights or every night? So it's either my husband or myself, we Monday through Friday, one of us is out. So we do the little ritual with our kids. We all sit down, we attempt to sit at the table. The kids might be up and down, but we're around the kitchen table. Um, lock eating, the doors. Lock You're all the stuck doors, in there. Food flying through the air. Um, Noah sometimes ends up on the table. That's his favorite seat right now, but mm. he loves family meal time. <laughs> center of everything. <laughs> He's almost two. Yes, very much the center of everything. Um, and But then Saturday and Sunday, we try to all be together, mom, dad, and kids for our meals. We do like an early dinner and that often has to change. I say often, but now and again, obviously, if there's an activity on the weekend that we're doing, we don't do it. We're flexible with it, but we always get back to it when we're home and have the time and space to do it. That's a, I really like our family weekend dinners together. Um, it's always nice having your partner there to help when you have three toddlers to mm. manage meal time. 
Um, and that's another thing I think for me, we're in a very interesting phase of life where our oldest is turning five next month. And so every 18 months we added a new child. And often when you add a group member, you have to rethink your rituals or work really hard to keep them intact. And so that's, it's been a, yeah, it's been a while for us. Um, and then you add COVID too in there. And I think a lot of family rituals and routines and traditions, if you will, have really fallen apart for people. I know that's true for my extended family. Cause when I think about family rituals too, um, you know, holidays, what are your rituals for mm. Thanksgiving or Christmas or Passover or whatever you celebrate? Uh, and you know, COVID for us very much stopped our wider family rituals. And we're just now reinventing some new family traditions, like having our extended family over to our house for Thanksgiving and Easter. Those are the two holidays we're going to host, which feels fun stepping into that role. I would say it actually probably increased ours particularly when I was home all the time, it, nice. like the nuclear family. The nuclear family one. Yeah. Yep. That's a good point. Yeah. In COVID, I think, yeah, I did that for some people, the nuclear family ones, maybe like the extended family. Is that the right word? Extended family? Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Um, I think it did affect that more for a lot of people, but maybe made the nuclear family ones like dad being home on virtual and can just step right into the kitchen after and right. join in family meals. Um, so what other, we, I, we do our family dinners on Saturday and Sunday. Um, we also are a camping family. Yes. So that's become a ritual every, um, I would say every other weekend in, or in like a long weekend in, we do go, we leave Friday and come back midday, Monday. It's impressive. Every other weekend. Just about. Summer or spring and summer? Um, summer, probably summer. That's great. Yeah. We have a short season here for camping, so about every other we try to do. And that started last year. And I think this is a good place to maybe talk about how rituals um, help build identity for people. When you do something consistently and reliably and with intention, it really does help build identity. And so, you know, we're a family who have family meals together. I'm part of this family. Um, we're, we're a camping family. And if you talk to other camping families, there's often um, a shared camaraderie there. Mm. Uh, so that's another benefit of having, being intentional. Just like if like maybe now and again you do yoga, but if you do yoga reliably, you might start to feel like, oh, I'm a yogi. And like you connect with other people who do that. Um, and so this idea of, being consistent and dedicated. I think it's another good word, dedicated or committed. It's important. Um, we also, every spring, for the past three springs at least, we have a kind of like a summer kickoff for Charlie's birthday party. And so part of the rituals there is like who we invite, same people every year. And then we do like a bounce house and water balloons. It's kind of a fun way to be all together the extended family and our nuclear family. And that's become something we, t it's fine. Cause when you have a ritual, there's shared, I there's shared language and there's shared expectations. So right around the same time every year, we start talking about it. And so it's something that draws us together. That's reliable and stable and secure. I also was thinking in preparation for this podcast, um, one of my favorite rituals with is walking my dogs. That's, That's another, amazing. yeah. So, because you, you're actually community, communing with your dogs. Yeah, you know, members. yeah. And they are, and they've always been a big part of my life since I've been a kid. And I really like that time in my life. And certain days I integrate the children into it. We do a shorter walk 
um, which is a little bit more hectic, but on days when, you know, I have the hour to walk by myself, um, you know, and it has a clear starting and a clear ending point for us as well. So that's a nice ritual for just kind of personal, but the dogs are included. So it feels part of the family. family yeah. yeah. It's family activity. Yeah. One thing to think about the family meals. I remember Rick, um, who's a staff at direction. He talked, um, about the importance of family meals and just being able to look at your kids at as they get busier and older, just having that time at least a few times a week to be able to sit and like, you know, how is your kid looking? Are they eating? Mm. And just kind of being in their presence and slowing down for a little bit. Everyone missing signs. Perhaps something's off. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So I think that's a really important. I love the family meal one. You guys do trips, right? You mentioned Lots that the, yep. your wife often will plan them. How have they been beneficial to your family? Oh, it's a bonding experience, right? Um, and particularly as the kids have gotten older, uh, becoming more independent in various locations. And you know, it's educational just going anywhere. Mm. Um, it's just a bonding experience. It's like being in any sort of crisis, right? <laughs> unfamiliar location and Trauma learning bonding. how to navigate it. And, you know, things don't work or you're stuck at the airport or um, it's just great at developing adaptability. Yeah. Um, yeah. And doing it as a team, getting yeah, through it a, together. A trip to Utah and did an RV trip and all suffered in the same RV with water not working. And it was great. It must be hysterical being in an RV with Duncan for yeah, it was, it was pretty good. an extended period of time. <clears throat> now, I was going to ask you about uh, this concept of forced family fun. Forced family fun. Right. What's, uh, some people would say, you know, no, this camping trip sort of forced family fun. Or yep. there could be rituals which members don't want to participate in. How much do you push somebody to participate in a ritual? That- yeah, and I think... So I do like say for right now in our family life, the camping thing, everyone is like in on, I'm probably the least in on the camping. That's funny. Yeah. Um, I go and I, I do enjoy it and, and it's grown on me a lot. Um, my husband spearheaded it and the kids are like wicked into it. Um, it's hysterical actually how much they get into camping. But I think the big part is, so you want to start with, the adult agreements, right? Like the adults can talk about, Hey, like what is kind of important for our family? We've got to take leadership in that yeah, way. If your spouse is not in, you're out of luck. Right. Right. <laughs> and you both want to agree to like, find something you can both agree on that you're both saying, okay, I can see the value in that. Maybe my idea would be this, your idea would be that. And maybe one compromises or leans towards the other, or we come up with something completely new that meets that goal of family fun during the summertime. And then you want, you're looking for eventual child buy-in. So that, that might look like camping looked for us. It was very easy, but they're in that stage where they're really young still. And so kind of like what the heck we're doing is what the heck we're doing. Like they're not teenagers yet, which becomes difficult. Um, But you want to set it up in a way where they have a voice to, to, talk about what they want to do or their thoughts on it. And if something's, someone's really opposed to it, you want to have a conversation and see if there's, maybe there's an option that you don't have to do this, but ideally everyone's involved in the family rituals and opting out would kind of be significant. And as the teens get older, I know for us, like we weren't going to do the, we weren't going to get a camper and stuff and do camping 
at this point because we needed to, you know, financially it was a little bit of a stretch, but we said, you know what, realistically, probably when they're, they turn around 12, things are going to change. They're going to be busy with education stuff. They're going to be busy with socializing with peers. And so they might not want to do the camping as much. So we felt like that, like when they're young until that period, these are like our 10 years to, to do that. And so being open to evolving and changing your rituals is really important. And just like everything else though, with parenting, I think there has to be a point where you say, if something's really important, kids aren't willing to compromise or negotiate with you. Um, it might just be like, as a family, this is what we're going to do. And if you're really hundred percent opting out, then, you know, obviously you have autonomy to do that, but we're going to ask that maybe you take space and do something, you know, maybe they have to go to grandma's when we go away or something where they're safe, but the family's not going to not do it because one person's saying no. And if you jump in too fast and you haven't had smaller family rituals and you try to invoke some larger one, you're going to run into trouble. So you sort of can build on the smaller ones. Yeah, it's a really great point. And having it be, you don't want to just force them into it. You want to have the conversations. Hey, we're thinking of doing this. What would make it fun for you? Or what are your thoughts? Right. And so you start with the smaller ones where the family there, we're used to being a family where we eat meals together. We're used to maybe cleaning the house together on Sundays or whatever rituals you have to function as a family. And it's funny because I think a lot of families nowadays, kids get just sometimes like older folks, right? We go into homes or get separate. Um, kids are often very separate from the functioning of families. You spend the day in daycare and then I come home at night, we do our thing, go to bed and rinse, repeat the next day. And so trying to build kids into helping around the house, just being around for all the mundane stuff that makes the family function, I think helps kids build that identity as part of the family, as a family member, which I think is decreasing more and more. Kids often have no... Uh, skin in the game in in the family life. They just mm. kind of get things. They get their resources without having to share in their responsibilities. Yep. So you see that. Yeah. Yeah. So I recommend if you don't have any family rituals, maybe some routines you have. Thinking about how can you shift them to into more intentional rituals and talking with your spouse or, you know, if you're a single parent, you can do this too. Um, and talking to your kids and coming up with some game plans to maybe one night a week you do family meals. And if it's you don't like to cook, okay, one night a week you go out for a simple, mm. you know, inexpensive restaurant once a week. There can be options to make it work, but go slow. Don't force. Start small. Yeah, start small um, and, and go slow and, you know, have everyone have a voice in it to begin. There may be some pushback initially. Yeah. But if you're starting small and being reasonable. Yeah. Should go, should go okay. Yeah. And if they have other ideas for additional rituals, you know, be open to their ideas too. Maybe they want a ritual of, you know, like once a month we go ice skating in the winter or something they like to do. Ice cream. Ice cream. I like ice cream. Yes. Ice cream ritual. Yes. Hey, words, here we come. Okay. <laughs> Time for a break. We got to go get our ice cream. Well, that was interesting. Yeah. I learned something about rituals and routines and thank you, Victoria. Thank you, Duncan. We'll see everybody next time. Bye folks. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Is There a Med for That? For more information about our podcast and our clinical work, visit our website at medforthat.com. If you've got questions, comments, or topics you'd like us to cover, feel free to email us at contact at medforthat.com. We'd love to answer some of your questions on air. 
Have a great day.